Hey, I'm gonna start reading. Okay, this is The Lost Hero by Rick Reardon. Chapter 1, Jason. Even before he got electrocuted, Jason was having a rotten day. He woke up in the backseat of a school bus, not sure where he was, holding hands with a girl he didn't know. That wasn't necessarily the rotten part. The girl was cute, but he couldn't figure out who she was or what he was doing there. He sat up and rubbed his eyes, trying to think. A few dozen kids sprawled in the seats in front of him, listening to iPods, talking, or sleeping. They all looked around his age... 15? 16? Okay, that was scary. He didn't know his own age. The bus rumbled along a bumpy road. Out the windows, desert rolled by under a bright blue sky. Jason was pretty sure he didn't live in the desert. He tried to think back. The last thing he remembered... The girl squeezed his hand. Jason, you okay? She wore faded jeans, hiking boots, and a fleece snowboarding jacket. Her chocolate brown hair was cut choppy and uneven, with thin strand braids down the side. She wore no makeup like she was trying not to draw attention to herself, but it didn't work. She was seriously pretty. Her eyes seemed to change color like a kaleidoscope. Brown, blue, and green. Jason let go of her hand. Um, I don't... In the front of the bus, a teacher shouted, All right, cupcakes, listen up! The guy was obviously a coach. His baseball cap was pulled low over his hair so you could just barely see his beady eyes. He had a wispy goatee and a sour face like he'd eaten something moldy. His buff arms and chest pushed against a bright orange polo shirt. His nylon workout pants and Nikes were spotless white. A whistle hung from his neck and a megaphone was clipped to his belt. He would have looked pretty scary if he hadn't been five foot zero. When he stood up in the aisle, one of the students called, Stand up, Coach Hedge! I heard that. The coach scanned the bus for the offender. Then his eyes fixed on Jason, and his scowl deepened. A jolt went down Jason's spine. He was sure the coach knew he didn't belong there. He was going to call Jason out, demand to know what he was doing on the bus, and Jason wouldn't have a clue what to say. But Coach Hedge looked away and cleared his throat. We'll arrive in five minutes. Stay with your partner. Don't lose your worksheet. And if any of you precious little cupcakes cause any troubles on this trip, I will personally send you back to campus the hard way. He picked up a baseball bat and made like he was hitting a homer. Jason looked at the girl next to him. Can he talk to us that way? She shrugged. Always does. This is the wilderness school, where kids are the animals. She said it like it was a joke they'd shared before. This is some kind of mistake, Jason said. I'm not supposed to be here. The boy in front of him turned and laughed. Yeah, right, Jason. We've all been framed. I didn't run away six times. Piper didn't steal a BMW. The girl blushed. I didn't steal that car, Leo. Oh, I forgot, Piper. What was your story? You talked the dealer into lending it to you? He raised his eyebrows at Jason like, can you believe her? Leo looked like a Latino Santa's elf with curly black hair, pointy ears, and a cheerful babyish face and a mischievous smile that told you right away this guy should not be trusted around matches or sharp objects. His long, nimble fingers wouldn't stop moving, drumming on the seat, sweeping his hair behind his ears, fiddling with the buttons on his army fatigue jacket. Either the kid was naturally hyper or he hopped up on enough sugar and caffeine to give a heart attack to a water buffalo. Anyway, Leo said, I hope you've got your worksheet, because I used mine for a spit wads days ago. Why are you looking at me like that? Somebody draw my face again? I don't know you, Jason said. Leo gave him a crocodile grin. Sure, I'm not your best friend. I'm his evil clone. Leo Valdez, Coach Hedge yelled from the front. Problem back there? Leo winked at Jason. Watch this. He turned to the front. 
Sorry, Coach. I was having trouble hearing you. Could you use your megaphone, please? Coach Hedge grunted like he was pleased to have an excuse. He unclipped the megaphone from his belt and continued giving directions, but his voice came out like Darth Vader's. The kids cracked up. The coach tried again, but this time the megaphone blurred. The cow says boo. The kids howled, and the coach slammed down the megaphone. Valdez! Piper stiffled a laugh. My god, Leo, how did you do that? Leo slipped a tiny Phillips head screwdriver from his sleeve. I'm a special boy. Guys, seriously, Jason pleaded. What am I doing here? Where are we going? Piper knit her eyebrows. Jason, are you joking? No, I have no idea. Ah, uh, yeah, he's joking, Leo said. He's trying to get me back for that shaving cream on the jello thing, aren't you? Jason stared at him blankly. Blankly. No, I think he's serious. Piper tried to take his hand again, but he pulled it away. I'm sorry, he said. I don't... I can't... That's it, Coach Hodge yelled from the front. The back row has just volunteered to clean up after lunch. The rest of the kids cheered. There's a shocker, we all muttered. But Piper kept her eyes on Jason, like she couldn't decide whether to be hurt or worried. Did you hit your head or something? You really don't know who we are? Jason shrugged helplessly. It's worse than that. I don't know who I am. The bus dropped them off in front of a big red stucco complex like a museum, just sitting in the middle of nowhere. Maybe that's what this was, the National Museum of Nowhere, Jason thought. A cold wind blew across the desert. Jason hadn't paid much attention to where he was, what he was wearing, but it wasn't nearly warm enough. Jeans and sneakers, a purple t-shirt, and a thin black windbreaker. So, a crash course for the amnesiac, Leo said in a helpful tone that made Jason think this was not going to be helpful. We go to the wilderness school, Leo made air quotes with his fingers, which means we're bad kids. Your family or the court or whoever decide you're too much trouble, so they shipped you off to this lovely prison, sorry, boarding school in Armpit, Nevada, where you learn valuable nature skills like running 10 miles a day through the cacti and weaving daisies into hats. And for a special treat, we go on educational field trips with Coach Hedge, who keeps order with his baseball bat. Is it all coming back to you now? No. Jason glanced apprehensively at the other kids. Maybe 20 guys, half that many girls. None of them looked like hardened criminals, but he wondered what they'd all done to get sentenced to a school for delinquents, and he wondered why he belonged with them. Leo rolled his eyes. You're really going to play this out, huh? Okay, so the three of us started here together this semester. We're totally tight. You do everything I say, and give me your dessert, and do my chores. Leo! Piper snapped. Fine, ignore that last part, but we are friends. Well, Piper's a little more than your friend. The last few weeks... Leo, stop it! Piper's face turned red. Jason could feel his face burning, too. He thought he'd remember if he was going out with a girl like Piper. He's got amnesia or something, Piper said. We've got to tell somebody. Leo Scott, who? Coach Hedge? He tried to fix Jason by whacking him upside the head. The coach was at the front of the group, barking orders and blowing his whistle to keep the kids in line, but every so often he'd glance back at Jason and scowl. Leo, Jason needs our help, Piper insisted. He's got a concussion or... Yo, Piper. One of the guys dropped back to join them as the group was heading into the museum. The new guy wedged himself between Jason and Piper and knocked Leo down. Don't talk to these bottom feeders. You're my partner, remember? The, guy, the new guy had a dark haircut, Superman style, a deep tan, and teeth so white they could have come with a warning label. Do not stare directly at teeth. Permanent blindness may occur. 
He wore a Dallas Cowboys jersey, western jeans and boots, and he smiled like he was God's gift to juvenile delinquent girls everywhere. Jason hated him instantly. Go away, Dylan, Piper grumbled. I didn't ask to work with you. Uh, that's no way to be. This is your lucky day. Dylan hooked his arm through hers and dragged her through the museum entrance. Piper shot back one last look over his shoulder, like 911. Leo got up and brushed himself off. I hate that guy. He offered Jason his arm like they should go skipping inside together. I'm Dylan. I'm so cool. I want to date myself, but I can't figure out how. You want to date me instead? You're so lucky. Leo, Jason said, you're weird. Yeah, you tell me that a lot, Leo grinned. But if you can't remember me, that means I can reuse all my old jokes. Come on. Jason figured that if this was his best friend, his life must be pretty messed up, but he followed Leo into the museum. They walked through the building, stopping here and there for Coach Hedge to lecture them with his megaphone, which alternatively made him sound like the Sith Lord or blared out random comments like, The pig says oink. Leo kept pulling out nuts, bolts, and pipe cleaners from the pockets of his army jacket and putting them together, like he had to keep his hands busy at all times. Jason was too distracted to pay much attention to the exhibits, but they were about the Grand Canyon and the Halalupi tribe, which owned the museum. Some girls kept looking over at Piper and Dylan and snickering. Jason figured these girls were the popular clique. They wore matching jeans and pink tops and enough makeup for a Halloween party. One of them said, Hey, Piper, does your tribe run this place, or do you get in for free if you do a rain dance? The other girls laughed. Even Piper's so-called partner, Dylan, suppressed a smile. Piper's snowboarding jacket sleeves hid her hands, but Jason got the feeling she was clenching her fists. My dad's Cherokee, she said, not Hualalapi. Of course, you'd need a few brain cells to know the difference, Isabel. Isabel widened her eyes in mock surprise so that she looked like an owl with a makeup addiction. Oh, sorry. Was your mom in this tribe? Oh, that's right. You never knew your mom. Piper charged her, but before a fight could start, Coach Hedge barked, Enough back there! Set a good example or I'll break out my baseball bat! The group shuffled on to the next exhibit, but the girls kept calling out little comments to Piper. Good to be back on the res, one asked in a sweet voice. Dad's probably too drunk to work, another said with a fake sympathy. That's why she turned klepto. Piper ignored them, but Jason was ready to punch them himself. He might not remember Piper, or even who he was, but he knew he hated mean kids. Leo caught his arm. Be cool. Piper doesn't like us fighting her battles. Besides, if those girls found out the real truth about her dad, they'd be bowing down to her and screaming, We're not worthy. Why? What about her dad? Leo laughed in disbelief. You're not kidding? You really don't remember that your girlfriend's dad? Look, I wish I did, but I don't even remember her, much less her dad. Leo whistled. Whew, whatever. We have to talk about that when we get back to the dorm. They reached the far end of the uh, exhibit hall, where some big glass doors led out to a terrace. All right, cupcakes, Coach Hedge announced. You are about to see the Grand Canyon. Try not to break it. The Skywalk can hold the weight of 70 jumbo jets, so you featherweights should be safe out there. If possible, try to avoid pushing each other over the edges. That would cost me a lot of extra paperwork. The coach opened the doors, and they all stepped outside. The Grand Canyon spread before them, live and in person. Extending over the edge was a horseshoe-shaped walkway made of glass, so you could see right through it. Man, Leo said, that's pretty wicked. Jason had to agree. Despite his amnesia and his feeling like he didn't belong here, he couldn't help being impressed. The canyon was bigger and wider than you could appreciate from a picture. They were up so high that birds circled below their feet. 
500 feet down, a river snaked along the canyon floor. Banks of storm clouds had moved overhead while they'd been inside, casting shadows like angry faces across the cliffs. As far as Jason could see in any direction, red and gray ravines cut through the desert like some crazy god had taken a knife to it. Jason had a piercing pain behind his eyes. Oh, crazy gods. Where had he come up with that idea? He felt like he'd gotten close to something important, something he should have known about. He also got the unmistakable feeling he was in danger. You alright? Leo said. You're not going to throw up all over the side, are you? Because I should have brought my camera. Jason grabbed the railings. He was shivering and sweaty, but it had nothing to do with heights. He blinked and the pain behind his eyes subsided. I'm fine, he managed. Just a headache. Thunder rumbled overhead. A cold wind almost knocked him sideways. This can't be safe, Leo squinted at the clouds. Storm's right over us, but it's clear all the way down. Weird, huh? Jason looked up and saw Leo was right. A dark circle of clouds had parked itself over the skywalk, but the rest of the sky in every direction was perfectly clear. Jason had a bad feeling about that. All right, cupcakes, Coach Hedge yelled. He frowned at the storm like it bothered him, too. We may have to cut this short, so get to work. Remember, complete sentences. The storm rumbled, and Jason's head began to hurt again. Not knowing why he did it, he reached into his jeans pocket and brought out a coin. The circle of gold about the size of a half dollar, but thicker and more uneven. Stamped on one side was a picture of a battle axe. On the other side was some guy's face, uh, wreathed in laurels. The inscription said something like, Evilus? Dang, is that gold? Leo asked. You've been holding out on me. Jason put the coin away, worrying how he'd come to have it and why he had the feeling he was going to need it soon. It's nothing, he said. It's just a coin. Leo shrugged. Maybe his mind had to keep moving as much of his hands. Come on, he said. Dare you to spit over the edge? They didn't even try very hard on the worksheet. For one thing, Jason was too distracted by the storm and his own mixed-up feelings. For another thing, he didn't have any idea how to name three sedimenty strata you observe or describe two examples of erosion. Leo was no help. He was too busy building a helicopter out of pipe cleaners. Check it out, he launched the copter. Jason feared it would plummet, but the pipe cleaner blades actually spun. The little copter made it halfway across the canyon before it lost momentum and spiraled into the void. How'd you do that? Jason asked. Leo shrugged. Would have been cooler if I had some rubber bands. Seriously, Jason asked. Are we friends? Last I checked. You sure? What was the first day we met? What did we talk about? It was... Leo frowned. I don't recall exactly. I'm ADHD, man. You can't expect me to remember details. But I don't remember you at all. I don't remember anyone here. What if you're right and everyone else is wrong? Leo asked. You think you just appeared here this morning and we all got fake memories of you? A little voice in Jason's head said, that's exactly what I think. But it sounded crazy. Everybody here took him for granted. Everybody acted like it was a normal part of class, except for Coach Hedge. Take the worksheet, Jason handed Leo the paper. I'll be right back. Before Leo could protest, Jason headed across the skywalk. The school group had the place to themselves. Maybe it was too early in the day for tourists, or maybe the weird weather scared them off. The wilderness school kids had spread out in pairs across the skywalk. Most were joking around or talking. Some of the guys were dropping pennies over the side. About 50 feet away, Piper was trying to fill out her worksheet, but her stupid partner Dylan was hitting on her, putting his hands on her shoulder and giving her that blinding white smile. She kept pushing him away, and when she saw Jason, he, she gave him a look like, throttle this guy for me. 
Jason motioned for her to hang on. He walked up to Coach Hedge, who was leaning on his baseball bat, studying the storm clouds. Did you do this? The coach asked. Jason took a step back. Do what? It sounded like the coach had just asked if he made the thunderstorm. Coach Hedge glared at him, his beady little eyes glinting under the brim of his cap. Don't play games with me, kid. What are you doing here, and why are you messing up my job? You mean, you don't know me? Jason said. I'm not one of your students? Hedge snorted. Never seen you before today. Jason was so relieved he almost wanted to cry. At least he wasn't going insane. He was in the wrong place. Look, sir, I don't know how I got here. I just woke up on the school bus. All I know is I'm not supposed to be here. Got that right. Hedge's gruff voice dropped to a murmur like he was sharing a secret. You've got a very powerful way with the mist, kid. If you can make all these people think they know you, but you can't fool me. I've been smelling monster for days now. I knew we had an infiltrator, uh, but you don't smell like a monster. You smell like a half-blood, so who are you and where'd you come from? Most of what the coach said didn't make sense, but Jason decided to answer honestly. I don't know who I am. I don't have any memories. You've got to help me. Coach Hedge studied his face like he was trying to read Jason's thoughts. Great, Hedge muttered. You're being truthful. Of course I am. What the hell was all that about monsters and half-bloods? Are those code words or something? Hedge narrowed his eyes. Part of Jason wondered if the guy was nuts, but the other part knew better. Look, kid, Hedge said. I don't know who you are. I just know what you are, and it means trouble. Now, I gotta protect three of you rather than two. Are you a special package? Is that it? What are you talking about? Hedge looked at the storm. The clouds are getting thicker and darker, hovering right over the skywalk. This morning, Hedge said, I got a message from camp. They said uh, an extraction team is on the way. They're coming to pick up special package, but they won't give me details. I thought to myself, fine. The two I'm watching are pretty powerful, older than most. I know they're being stopped. I can smell monster in the group, but I figured that's the camp uh, suddenly frantic to pick them up. But then you pop up out of nowhere. So are you the special package? The pain behind Jason's eyes got worse than ever. Half-bloods camp, monsters. He still didn't know what Hedge was talking about, but the words gave him a massive brain freeze, like his brain was trying to access information that should have been there but wasn't. He stumbled and Coach Hedge caught him. For a short guy, the coach had uh, hands like steel. Well there, Cupcake. You said you got no memories, huh? Fine, I'll just have to watch you too until the teams get here. We'll let the director figure things out. What director? Jason said. What camp? Just a type. Reinforcements should be here soon. Hopefully nothing happens before. Lightning crackled overhead. The wind picked up a vengeance. Worksheets flew into the Grand Canyon, and the entire bridge shuddered. Kids screamed, stumbling and grabbing the rails. I had to say something, Coach grumbled. He bellowed over his megaphone. Everybody inside! The cow says moo! Off the skywalk! I thought you said this thing was stable, Jason shouted over the wind. Under normal circumstances, Hedge agreed, which these aren't. Come on! Chapter 2. Jason The storm churned into a miniature hurricane. Funnel clouds snaked towards the skywalk like tendrils of a monster jellyfish. Kids screamed and ran for the building. The wind snatched away their notebooks, jackets, hats, and backpacks. Jason skidded across the slick floor. Leo lost his balance and almost toppled over the railing, but Jason grabbed his jacket and pulled him back. Thanks, man! Leo yelled. Go, go, go! said Coach Hedge. Piper and Dylan were holding the doors open, hurting the other kids inside. Piper's snowboarding jacket was flapping wildly, her dark hair all in her face. Jason thought she must have been freezing, but she looked calm and confident. 
telling the others it would be okay, encouraging them to keep moving. Jason, Leo, and Coach Hedge ran towards them, but it was like running through quicksand. The wind seemed to fight them, like pushing them back. Dylan and Piper pushed one more kid inside, then lost their grip on the doors. They slammed shut, closing off the skywalk. Piper tugged at the handles. Inside, the kids pounded on the glass, but the door seemed to be stuck. Dylan, help! Piper shouted. Dylan just stood there with an idiotic grin, his cowboy's jersey rippling in the wind, like he was suddenly enjoying the storm. Sorry, Piper, he said. I'm done helping. He flicked his wrist, and Piper flew backwards, slamming into the doors and sliding to the skywalk deck. Piper! Jason tried to charge forward, but the wind was against him, and Coach Hedge pushed him back. Coach, let me go, Jason said. Jason, Leo, stay behind me, the coach ordered. This is my fight. I should have known that was our monster. What? Leo demanded. A rogue worksheet slapped him in the face, but he swatted away. What monster? The coach's cap blew off, and sticking up above his curly hair were two bumps, like the knots cartoon characters get when they're bonked on the head. Coach Hedge lifted his baseball bat, but it wasn't a regular bat anymore. Somehow, it had changed into a crudely shaped tree branch club, with twigs and leaves still attached. Dylan gave him that psycho-happy smile. Oh, come on, coach. Let the boy attack me. After all, you're getting too old for this. Isn't that why they've retired you to this stupid school? I've been on your team the entire season, and you don't even know. You're losing your nose, Grandpa. The coach made an angry sound like an animal bleeding. That's it, Cupcake. You're going down. You think you can protect three half-bloods at once, old man? Dylan laughed. Good luck. Dylan pointed at Leo, and a funnel cloud materialized around him. Leo flew off the skywalk like he had been tossed. Somehow he managed to twist in midair and slammed sideways into the canyon wall. He skidded, clawing furiously for any handhold. Finally, he grabbed a thin ledge about 50 feet below the skywalk and hung there by his fingertips. Help! he yelled at them. Rope, please! Bungee cord? Something? Coach Hedge cursed and just tossed Jason his club. I don't know who you are, kid, but I hope you're good. Keep that thing busy. He stabbed a thumb at Dylan. While I get Leo. Get him how? Jason demanded. You're gonna fly? Not fly. Climb. Hedge kicked off his shoes and Jason almost had a coronary. The coach didn't have any feet. He had hooves. Goat's hooves. Which meant those things on his head, Jason realized, weren't bumps. They were horns. You're a fawn, Jason said. Sater! Hedge snapped. Fawns are Roman. But we'll talk about that later. Hedge leaped over the railing. He sailed toward the canyon wall and hit hooves first. He bounced down the cliff with impossible agility, finding footholds no bigger than postage stamps, dodging whirlwinds that tried to attack him as he picked his way towards Leo. Isn't that cute? Dylan turned towards Jason. Now it's your turn, boy. Jason threw the club. It seemed useless with the wind so strong, but the club flew right at Dylan, even curving when he tried to dodge, and smacked him on the head so hard he fell to his knees. Piper wasn't as dazed as she appeared. Her fingers closed around the club when it rolled next to her, but before she could use it, Dylan rose. Blood, golden blood, trickled from his forehead. Nice try, boy, he glanced at Jason, but you'll have to do better. The skywalk shuddered. Hairline fractured appeared in the glass. Inside the museum, kids stopped banging on the doors. They backed away, watching in terror. Dylan's body dissolved into smoke, as if his molecules were coming unglued. 
He had the same face, the same brilliant white smile, but his whole form was suddenly composed of swirling black vapor, his eyes like electrical sparks in a living storm cloud. He sprouted black smoky wings and rose above the skywalk. If angels could be evil, Jason decided, they would look exactly like this. You're a Ventus, Jason said, though he had no idea how he knew that word. A storm spirit. Uh, Dylan's laugh sounded like a tornado tearing off a roof. I'm glad I waited, demigod. Leo and Paper I've known about for weeks. I could have killed them at any time, but my mistress said a third was coming. Someone special. She'll reward me greatly for your death. Two more funnel clouds touched down on either side of Dylan and turned into venti, ghostly young men with smoky wings and eyes that flickered with lightning. Piper stayed down, pretending to be dazed, her hand still gripping the club. Her face was pale, but she gave Jason a determined look, and he understood the message. Keep their attention. I'll bring them from behind. Cute, smart, and violent. Jason wished he remembered having her as a girlfriend. He clenched his fists and got ready to charge, but he never got a chance. Dylan raised his hands, arcs of electricity running between his fingers, and blasted Jason in the chest. Bang! Jason found himself flat on his back. His mouth tasted like burning aluminum foil. He lifted his head and saw that his clothes were smoking. The lightning bolt had gone straight through his body and blasted off his left shoe. His toes were black with soot. The storm spirits were laughing. The winds raged. Piper was screaming defiantly, but that sounded tinny and far away. Out of the corner of his eye, Jason saw Coach Hedge climbing the cliff with Leo on his back. Piper was on her feet, desperately swinging the club to fend off the two extra storm spirits, but they were just toying with her. The club went through their bodies like they weren't even there. And Dylan, a dark-winged tornado with eyes, loomed over Jason. Stop, Jason croaked. He rose unsteadily to his feet, and he wasn't sure who was more surprised, him or the storm spirits. How are you alive? Dylan's form flickered. That was enough lightning to kill twenty men! My turn, Jason said. He reached in his pocket and pulled out the gold coin. He let his instincts take over, flipping the coin in the air like he'd done a thousand times. He caught it in his palm, and suddenly he was holding a sword, a wickedly sharp double-edged weapon. The rigid grip felt his fingers perfectly, and the whole thing was gold, hilt, handle, and blade. Dylan snarled and backed up. He looked at his two comrades and yelled, Well, kill him! The other storm spirits didn't look happy with that order, but they flew at Jason, their fingers crackling with electricity. Jason swung at the first spirit. His blade passed through it, and the creature's smoky form disintegrated. The second spirit let loose a bolt of lightning, but Jason's blade absorbed the charge. Jason stepped in, one quick thrust, and the second storm spirit dissolved into gold powder. Dylan wailed in outrage. He looked down as if expecting his comrades to reform, but their gold dust remained dispersed in the wind. Impossible! Who are you, half-blood? Piper was so stunned she dropped her club. Jason, how? Then Coach Hedge leaped back onto the skywalk and dumped Leo like a sack of flour. Spirits, fear me! Hedge bellowed, flexing his short arms. Then he looked around and realized there was only Dylan. Curse it, boy! He snapped at Jason. Didn't you leave one for me? I like a challenge! Leo got to his feet, breathing hard. He looked completely humiliated, his hands bleeding from clawing at the rocks. Yo, Coach Supergoat, whatever you are, I just fell down the freaking Grand Canyon. Stop asking for challenges. Dylan hissed at them, but Jason could see fear in his eyes. You have no idea how many enemies you've awakened, half-bloods. My mistresses will destroy all demigods. This war you cannot win. 
Above them, the storm exploded into full-force gale. Cracks expanded in the side, uh, skywalk. Sheets of rain poured down, and Jason had to crouch to keep his balance. A hole opened in the clouds, a whirring vortex of black and silver. The mistress calls me back, Dylan shouted with glee, and you, demigod, will come with me. He lunged at Jason, but Piper tackled the monster from behind. Even though he was made of smoke, Piper somehow managed to connect. Both of them went sprawling. Leo, Jason, and the coach surged forward to help, but the spirit screamed with rage. He let loose a torrent that knocked them all backward. Jason and Coach Hedge landed on their butts. Jason's sword skidded across the glass. Leo hit the back of his head and curled on his side, dazed and groaning. Piper got the worst of it. She was thrown off of Dylan's back and hit the railing, tumbling over the side until she was hanging by one hand over the abyss. Jason stared towards her, but Dylan screamed, I'll settle this one! He, I'll settle for this one! He grabbed Leo's arm and began to rise, towing a half-conscious Leo behind him. The storm spun faster, pulling them upwards like a vacuum cleaner. Help! Piper yelled, somebody! Then she slipped, screaming as she fell. Jason, go! Hedge yelled, save her! The coach launched himself at the spirit with some serious goat foo, lashing out at his hooves, knocking Leo free from the spirit's grasp. Leo dropped safely to the floor, but Dylan grappled the coach's arms instead. Hedge tried to headbutt him, then kicked him and called him a cupcake. They rose into the air, gaining speed. Coach Hedge shouted down once more, Save her! I got this! Then the satyr and the storm spirit spiraled into the clouds and disappeared. Save her? Jason thought she's gone. But again, his instincts won. He ran into the railing, thinking, I'm a lunatic, and jumped over the side. Jason wasn't scared of heights. He was scared of being smashed against the canyon floor 500 feet below. He figured he hadn't accomplished anything except for dying along with Piper, but he tucked in his arms and plummeted headfirst. The sides of the canyon raced past like film on fast forward. His face felt like it was peeling off. In a heartbeat, he caught up with Piper, who was flailing wildly. He tackled her waist and closed his eyes, waiting for death. Piper screamed. The wind whistled in Jason's ears. He wondered what dying would feel like. He was thinking, probably not so good. He wished somehow they could never hit bottom. Suddenly, the wind died. Piper's screams turned into a strangled gasp. Pi Jason thought they must be dead, but he hadn't felt any impact. J J jason Piper managed. He opened his eyes. They weren't falling. They were floating in midair, a hundred feet above the river. He hugged Piper tight, and she repositioned herself so she was hugging him, too. They were nose to nose. Her heartbeat was so hard, Jason could feel it through her clothes. Her breath smelled like cinnamon. She said, how did you? I, I didn't, he said. I think I would know if I knew I could fly. But then he thought, I don't even know who I am. He imagined going up. Piper yelped as they shot a few feet higher. They weren't exactly floating, Jason decided. He could feel pressure under his feet like they were balancing at the top of a geyser. The air is supporting us, he said. Well, tell it to support us more. Get us out of here. Jason looked down. The easiest thing would be to sink gently to the canyon floor. Then he looked up. The rain had stopped. The storm clouds didn't seem as bad, but they were still rumbling and flashing. There was no guarantee the spirits were gone for good, and he had no idea what happened to Coach Hedge. And he'd left Leo up there, barely conscious. We have to help them, Piper said as if reading his thoughts. Can you- Let's see, Jason thought up, and instantly they shot skyward. The fact he was riding the winds might have been cool under different circumstances, but he was still too much in shock. 
As soon as they landed on the skywalk, they ran to Leo. Piper turned Leo over and he groaned. His army coat was soaked from the rain. His curly hair glittered gold from rolling around in monster dust, but at least he wasn't dead. Stupid, ugly goat, he muttered. Where did he go? Piper asked. Leo pointed straight up. Never came down. Please tell me he didn't actually save my life. Twice, Jason said. Leo groaned even louder. What happened? The tornado guy, the gold sword. I hit my head. That's it, right? I'm hallucinating. Jason had forgotten about the sword. He'd walked over to where it was lying and picked it up. The blade was well-blanched, uh, well-balanced. On a hunch, he flipped it. Mid-spin, the sword shrank back into a coin, and he landed in his palm. Yep, Leo de said, definitely hallucinating. Piper shivered in her rain-soaked clothes. Jason, those things... Venti, he said, storm spirits. Okay, you acted like, you, like you'd seen them before. Who are you? Jason shook his head. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I don't know. The storm dissipated. The other kids from the wilderness school were staring out the glass doors in horror. Security guards were working on the locks now, but they didn't seem like to be having any luck. Coach Head said he was here to protect three people, Jason remembered. I think he meant us. And that thing Dylan turned into, Piper shuddered. God, I can't believe it was hitting on me. He called us, what, demigods? Leo lay on his back, staring at the sky. He didn't seem anxious to get up. Don't know what demi means, he said, but I'm not feeling too godly. You guys feeling godly? There was a brutal sound like dry twigs snapping, and the cracks in the skywalk began to widen. We need to get off this thing, Jason said. Maybe if we... Okay, Leo interrupted. Look up there and tell me those aren't flying horses. At first, Jason thought Leo had hit his head too hard. Then he saw a dark shape descending from the east, too slow for a plane, too large for a bird. As it got closer, he could see a pair of winged animals, gray, four-legged, exactly like horses, except each one had a 20-foot wingspan. And they were pulling a brightly painted box with two wheels, a chariot. Reinforcements, he said. Hedge told me an extraction squad was coming for us. Extraction squad? Leo struggled to his feet. That sounds painful. And where are they extracting us to? Piper asked. Jason watched as the chariot landed on the far end of the skywalk. The flying horses tucked in their wings and cantered nervously across the glass, as if they sensed it was near-breaking. Two teenagers stood in the chariot, a tall blonde girl maybe a little older than Jason, and a bulky dude with a shaved head and a face like a pile of bricks. They both wore jeans and orange t-shirts and shields across their back. The girl leaped off the chariot before it had even finished moving. She pulled a knife and ran towards Jason's group while the bulky dude was reining in the horses. "'Where is he?' the girl demanded. Her gray eyes were fierce and a little startling. "'Where's who?' Jason asked. She frowned like his answer was unacceptable. Then she turned towards Leo and Piper. "'What about Gleason? Where is your protector, Gleason Hedge?' "'That coach's first name was Gleason?' Jason might have laughed if the morning hadn't been quite so weird and scary. Gleason Hedge, football coach, goat man, protector of demigods. Sure, why not? Leo cleared his throat. He got taken by some tornado things. Venti, Jason said, storm spirits. The blonde girl of arched an eyebrow. You mean enemoithulii? That's the Greek term. Who are you and what happened? Jason did his best to explain, though it was hard to meet those intense gray eyes. 
About halfway through the story, the other guy from the chariot came over. He stood there glaring at them, his arms crossed. He had a tattoo of a rainbow on his biceps, which seemed a little unusual. When Jason finished the story, the blonde girl didn't look satisfied. No, no, no! She told me he would be here. She told me that if I came here, I'd find the answer. Annabeth, the bald guy grunted, check it out. He pointed at Jason's feet. Jason hadn't thought much about it, but he was still missing his left shoe, which had been blown off by the lightning. His bare foot felt okay, but it looked like a lump of charcoal. The guy with one shoe, said the bald dude. He's the answer. No, Butch, the girl insisted. He can't be. I was tricked. She glared at the sky as though it had done something wrong. What do you want from me? She screamed. What have you done with him? The skywalk shuddered and the horses whined urgently. Annabeth, the bald dude, Butch. We gotta leave. Let's get these three to camp and figure it out from there. Those storm spirits might come back. She fumed for a moment. Fine. She fixed Jason with a resentful look. We'll settle this later. She turned on her heel and marched towards the chariot. Piper shook her head. What's her problem? What's going on? Seriously, Leo agreed. We gotta get you out of here, Butch said. I'll explain on the way. I'm not going anywhere with her, Jason gestured toward the blonde. She looks like she wants to kill me. Butch hesitated. Annabeth's okay. You gotta cut her some slack. She had a vision telling her to come here to find a guy with one shoe. That was supposed to be the answer to her problem. What problem? Piper asked. She's been looking for one of our campers, who's been missing three days, Butch said. She's going out of her mind with worry. She hoped he'd be here. Who? Jason asked. Her boyfriend, Butch said. A guy named Percy Jackson. Chapter 3. Piper. After a morning of storm spirits, goat men, and flying boyfriends, Piper should have been losing her mind. Instead, all she felt was dread. It's starting, she thought, just like the dream said. She stood in the back of the chariot with Leo and Jason, while the bald guy, Butch, handled the reins, and the blonde girl, Annabeth, adjusted a bronze navigation device. They rose over the Grand Canyon and headed east, icy wind ripping straight through Piper's jacket. Behind them, more storm clouds were gathering. The chariot lurched and bumped. It had no seatbelts, and the back was wide open, so Piper wondered if Jason would catch her again if she fell. That had been the most disturbing part of the morning. Not that Jason could fly, but that he'd held her in her arms and yet didn't know who she was. All semester, she'd work on a relationship, trying to get Jason to notice her as more than a friend. Finally, she'd gotten the big dope to kiss her. The last few weeks had been the best of her life, and then, three nights ago, the dream had ruined everything. That horrible voice giving her horrible news. She hadn't told anybody about it, not even Jason. Now, she didn't even have him. It was like someone had wiped his memory and she was stuck in the worst do-over of all time. She wanted to scream. Jason stood right next to her, those sky-blue eyes, close-cropped blonde hair, that cute little scar in his upper lip. He was kind and gentle, but always a little sad. And he just stared at the horizon, not even noticing her. Meanwhile, Leo was being annoying, as usual. This is so cool! He spit a, sp he spit a Pegasus feather out of his mouth. Where are we going? A safe place, Annabeth said, the only safe place for kids like us. Camp Half-Blood. Half-Blood? Piper was immediately on guard. She hated that word. She had been called a half-blood too many times, half Cherokee, half white, and it was never a compliment. Is that some kind of bad joke? She means we're demigods, Jason said. Half-god, half-mortal. Annabeth looked back. You seem to know a lot, Jason, but yes, demigods. My mom is Athena, goddess of wisdom. 
Butch here is the son of Iris, the rainbow goddess. Leo choked. Your mom is the rainbow goddess? Got a problem with that? Butch said. No, no, Leo said. Rainbow's very macho. Butch is our best equestrian, Annabeth said. He gets along great with the pegasi. Rainbow's ponies, Leo muttered. I'm gonna toss you off this chariot, Butch warned. Demigods, Piper said. You mean you think we're... you think we're... Lightning flashed. The chariot shuddered and Jason yelled, Left wheel's on fire! Piper stepped back. Sure enough, the wheel was burning, white flames lapping up the side of the chariot. The wind roared. Piper glanced behind them and saw dark shapes forming in the clouds, more storm spirits spiraling towards the chariot. Except these looked a lot more like horses than angels. She started to say, Why are they... Anamoy come in different shapes, Annabeth said. Sometimes humans, sometimes stallions, depending on how chaotic they are. Hold on, this is going to get rough. Butch flicked the reins. The pegasi put on a burst of speed, and the chariot blurred. Piper's stomach crawled into her throat. Her vision went black, and when it came back to normal, they were in a totally different place. A cold gray ocean stretched out to the left. Snow-covered fields, roads, and forests spread to the right. Directly below them was a green valley, like an island of springtime, rimmed with snowy hills on three sides and water to the north. Piper saw a cluster of buildings like ancient Greek temples, a big blue mansion, ball courts, a lake, and a climbing wall that seemed to be on fire. But before she could really process all that she was seeing, their wheels came off and the chair dropped out of the sky. Annabeth and Butch tried to maintain control. The pegasi labored to hold the chariot in a flight pattern, but they seemed exhausted from their burst of speed, and bearing the chariot and the weight of five people was just too much. The lake! Annabeth yelled. Aim for the lake! Piper remembered something her dad had once told her about hitting water from high up being as bad as hitting cement. And then, boom! The biggest shock was the cold. She was underwater, so disoriented that she didn't know which way was up. She just had time to think, this would be a stupid way to die. Then, faces appeared in the green muck, girls with long black hair and glowing yellow eyes. They smiled at her, grabbed her shoulders, and hauled her up. They tossed her, gasping and shivering, onto the shore. Nearby, Butch stood in a lake, cutting the wrecked harness off the pegasi. Fortunately, the horses looked okay, but they were flapping their wings and splashing water everywhere. Jason, Leo, and Annabeth were already on shore, surrounded by kids giving them blankets and asking questions. Somebody took Piper by the arms and helped her stand. Apparently, kids fell into the lake a lot because a detail of campers ran up uh, with big bronze leaf blower-looking things and blasted Piper with hot air, and in about two seconds, her clothes were dry. There are at least 20 campers milling around, the youngest maybe nine, the oldest college age, 18 or 19, and all of them had the orange shirts like Annabeth's. Piper looked back at the water and saw those strange girls just below the surface, their hair floating in the current. They waved like a toodaloo and disappeared into the depths. A second later, the wreckage of the chariot was tossed from the lake and landed nearby with a wet crunch. Annabeth! A guy with a bow and quiver on his back pushed through the crowd. I said you could borrow the chariot, not destroy it! Will, I'm sorry, Annabeth sighed. I'll get it fixed, I promise. Will scowled at his broken chariot. Then he seized up Piper, Leo, and Jason. These are the ones? Way older than thirteen. Why haven't they been claimed already? Claimed? Leo asked. Before Annabeth could explain, Will said, Any signs of Percy? No, Annabeth admitted. The campers muttered. Piper had no idea who this guy Percy was, but his disappearance seemed to be a big deal. Another girl stepped forward. Tall, Asian, dark hair and ringlets, plenty of jewelry, and perfect makeup. 
Somehow, she managed to make jeans and an orange t-shirt look glamorous. She glanced at Leo, fixed her eyes on Jason like he might be worthy of her attention, then curled her lip at Piper, as if she were a weefled burrito that had just been pulled out of the dumpster. Piper knew this girl's type. She dealt with a lot of girls like this at Wilderness School, and every other stupid school her father had sent her to. Piper knew instantly that they were going to be enemies. Well, the girl said, I hope they're worth the trouble. Leo snorted. Gee, thanks. What are we, your new pets? No kidding, Jason said. How about some answers before you start judging us? Like, what is this place? Why are we here? How long do we have to stay? Piper had the same questions, but a wave of anxiety washed over her. Worth the trouble. If only they knew about her dream. They had no idea. Jason, Annabeth said, I promise we'll answer your questions. And Drew, she frowned at the glamour girl, all demigods are worth saving, but I'll admit the trip didn't accomplish what I hoped. Hey, Piper said, we didn't ask to be brought here. Drew sniffled. No one wants you, hon. Does your hair always look like a dead badger? Piper stepped forward, ready to smack her, but Pi Annabeth said, Piper, stop. She did. She wasn't a bit scared of Drew, but Annabeth didn't seem like somebody she wanted for an enemy. We need to make our new arrivals feel welcome, Annabeth said, with another pointed look at Drew. We'll assign them each a guide, give them a tour of camp. Hopefully, by the campfire tonight, they'll be claimed. Would somebody tell me what claimed means? Piper asked. Suddenly, there was a collective gasp. The campers looked away. At first, Piper thought she'd done something wrong. Then she realized their faces were bathed in a strange red light, as if someone had lit a torch behind her. She turned around and almost forgot how to breathe. Floating over Leo's head was a blazing holographic image, a fiery hammer. That, Annabeth said, is claiming. What'd I do? Leo backed towards the lake. Then he glanced up and yelled, Is my hair on fire? He ducked, but the symbol followed him, bobbing and weaving, so it looked like he was trying to write something in flames with his head. This can't be good, Butch muttered. The curse. Butch, shut up, Abbott said. Leo, you've just been claimed. By a god, Jason interrupted. That's the symbol of Vulcan, isn't it? All eyes turned to him. Jason, Abbott said carefully. How did you know that? I'm not sure. Vulcan, Leo demanded. I don't even like Star Trek. What are you talking about? Vulcan is the na Roman name for Hephaestus. Annabeth said, the god of blacksmiths and fire. The fiery hammer faded, but Leo kept swatting the air like he was afraid it was following him. The god of what? Who? Annabeth turned towards the guy with the bow. Will, would you take Leo, give him a tour, introduce him to his bunkmates in cabin nine? Uh, sure, Annabeth. What's cabin nine? Leo asked, and I'm not a Vulcan. Come on, Mr. Spock, I'll explain everything. Will put a hand on his shoulder and steered him off towards the cabins. Annabeth turned her attention back to Jason. Usually, Piper didn't like it when other girls checked out her boyfriend, but Annabeth didn't seem to care that he was a good-looking guy. She studied him more like he was a complicated blueprint. Finally, she said, Hold out your arm. Piper saw what she was looking at, and her eyes widened. Jason had taken off his windbreaker after his dip in the lake, leaving his arms bare, and on the right inside of his forearm was a tattoo. How had Piper never noticed it before? She looked at Jason's arms a million times. That tattoo couldn't have just appeared, but it was darkly etched, impossible to miss. A dozen straight lines like a barcode, and over that was an eagle with three letters, with the letters S-P-Q-R. I'd never seen marks like this, Annabeth said. Where'd you get them? 
Jason shook his head. I'm getting really tired of saying this, but I don't know. The other campers pushed forward, trying to get a look at Jason's tattoo. The mark seemed to bother them a lot, almost like a declaration of war. They look burned into your skin, Annabeth noticed. They were, Jason said. Then he winced as if his head was aching. I mean, I, I think so. I don't remember. No one said anything. It was clear that the campers saw Annabeth as the leader. They were waiting for her verdict. He needs to go straight to Chiron, Annabeth decided. Drew, would you- Absolutely. Drew laced her arm around Jason's. This way, sweetie. I'll introduce you to our director. He's an interesting guy. She flashed Piper a smug look and led Jason towards the big blue house on the hill. The crowd left to disperse until only Annabeth and Piper were left. Who's Chiron? Piper asked. Is Jason in some kind of trouble? Annabeth hesitated. Good question, Piper. Come on, I'll give you a tour. We need to talk. 4. Piper Piper soon realized Annabeth's heart wasn't in the tour. She talked about all this amazing stuff the camp offered. Magic archery, Pegasus riding, and the lava wall, fighting monsters. But she showed no excitement, as if her mind were elsewhere. She pointed out the open-air dining pavilion that overlooked Long Island Sound. Yes, Long Island, New York. They traveled that far on the chariot. Annabeth explained how Camp Half-Blood was mostly a summer camp, but some kids stayed here year-round, so they had added so many campers it was always crowded now, even in winter. Piper wondered who ran the camp and how they'd known Piper and her friends belonged here. She wondered if she'd have to stay full-time, or if she'd be any good at the activities. Could she flunk out of monster fighting? A million questions bubbled in her head, but Annabeth's mood she decided to keep quiet. As they climbed a hill at the edge of camp, Piper turned and got an amazing view of the valley. A big stretch of woods to the northwest, a beautiful beach, the creek, the canoe lake, lush green fields, and the whole layout of the cabins. A bizarre assortment of buildings arranged like a Greek omega, with a loop of cabins around a central green and two wings sticking out the bottoms of either side. Piper counted twenty cabins in all. One glowed golden, another silver. One had grass on the roof, another was bright red with barbed wire trenches. One cabin was black with fiery green torches out front. All of it seemed like a different world from the snowy hills and fields outside. The valley is protected from mortal eyes, Annabeth said. As you can see, the weather is controlled, too. Each cabin represents a Greek god, a place for that god's children to live. She looked at Piper like she was trying to judge how Piper was handling the news. You're saying mom was a goddess. Annabeth nodded. You're taking this awfully calmly. Piper couldn't tell her why. She couldn't admit that this just confirmed some weird feelings she had for years, arguments she had with her father about why there were no photos of mom in the house, and why dad would never tell her exactly how or why her mom had left them. But mostly, the dream had warned her this was coming. Soon they will find you, demigod, that voice had rumbled. When they do, follow our directions. Cooperate and your father might live. Piper took a shaky breath. I guess after this morning, it's a little easier to believe. So, who's my mom? We should know soon, Annabeth said. You're what, 15? Gods are supposed to claim you when you're 13. That's the deal. The deal? They made a deal last summer. Well, long story, but they promised not to ignore their demigod children anymore, to claim them by the time they turn 13. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but you saw how fast Leo was claimed once he got here. Should happen for you soon. Tonight at the campfire, I bet we'll get a sign.
Piper wondered if she was having a big flaming hammer over her head, or, with her luck, something even more embarrassing. A flaming wombat, maybe. Whoever her mother was, Piper had no reason to think she'd be proud to claim a kleptomaniac daughter with massive problems. Why 13? The older you get, Annabeth said, the more monsters notice you, try to kill you. Round 13 is usually when it starts. That's why we send protectors into the schools to find you guys, like, you go to camp before it's too late. Like Coach Hedge? Annabeth nodded. He's... he was a satyr. Half man, half goat. Satyrs work for the camp, finding demigods, protecting them, bringing them in when the time is right. Piper had no trouble believing Coach Hedge was half goat. She'd seen the guy eat. She never liked the coach much, but she couldn't believe he'd sacrifice himself to save them. What happened to him? She asked. When we went up into the clouds, did he... Is he gone for good? Hard to say. Annabeth's expression was pained. Storm spirits, difficult to battle. Even our best weapons, celestial bronze, will pass right through them unless you can catch them by surprise. Jason's sword turned them to dust, Piper remembered. He was lucky then. If you hit a monster just right, you can dissolve them, send their essence back to Tartarus. Tartarus? A huge abyss in the underworld, where the worst monsters come from. Kind of like a bottomless pit of evil. Anyway, once monsters dissolve, it usually takes months, even years, before they can reform again. But since the storm spirit Dylan got away, well, I don't know why you keep Hedge alive. Hedge was a protector, though. He knew the risks. Satyrs don't have mortal souls. He'd be reincarnated as a tree or a flower or something. Piper tried to imagine Coach Hedge as a clump of very angry pansies. That made her feel even worse. She grazed at the cannons below and got an uneasy feeling settled over her. Hedge had died to get her safely. Her mom's cabin was down there somewhere, which meant she had brothers and sisters, more people she'd have to betray. Do what we tell you, the voice had said, or the consequences will be painful. She tucked her hands under her arms, trying to stop them from shaking. It'll be okay, Annabeth promised. You'll have friends here. That's, we've all been through a lot of weird stuff. We know what you've been through. I doubt that, Piper thought. I've been kicked out of five different schools the past five years, she said. My dad's running out of places to put me. Only five? Annabeth didn't sound like she was teasing. Piper, we've all been labeled troublemakers. I ran away from home when I was seven. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Most of us are diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or dyslexia or both. Leo's ADHD, Piper said. Right. That's because we've been hardwired for battle. Restless, impulsive, we don't fit in with regular kids. You should hear how much trouble Percy- Her face darkened. Anyway, demigods get a bad rep. How'd you get in trouble? Usually when someone asked her that question, Piper started a fight or changed the subject or caused some kind of distraction. But for some reason, she found herself telling the truth. I steal stuff, she said. Well, not really steal. Is your family poor? Piper laughed bitterly. Not even. I did it, I don't know why, for attention, I guess. My dad never had any time for unless I got in trouble. Annabeth nodded. I can relate. But you said you didn't really steal? What do you mean? Well, no one ever believes me. The police, teachers, even the people I took the stuff from. They're so embarrassed, they'll deny what happened. But the truth is, I don't steal anything. I just ask people for things. And they give me stuff. Even a DMW convertible. I just asked, and the dealer said, sure, take it. Later, he'd realized what he'd done, I guess. Then the police came after me. 
Piper waited. She was used to people calling her a liar, but when she looked up, Annabeth just nodded. Interesting. If your dad were the god, I'd say you're a child of Hermes, god of thieves. You can be pretty convincing, but your dad is mortal. Very, Piper agreed. Annabeth shook her head, apparently mystified. I don't know, then. With luck, your mom will claim you tonight. Piper almost hoped it wouldn't happen. If her mom were a goddess, would she know about the dream? Would she know that Piper had been asked to do? Piper wondered if Olympian gods ever blasted their kids with lightning for being evil or grounded them in the underworld. Annabeth was studying her. Piper decided she was going to have to be careful with what she said from now on. Annabeth was pretty smart. If anyone could figure out Piper's secret... Come on, Annabeth said at last. There's something else I need to check. They hiked a little further away until they reached a cave near the top of the hill. Bones and old swords littered the ground. Torches flanked the entrance, which was covered in a velvet curtain embroidered with snakes. It looked like the set for some kind of twisted puppet show. What's in there? Piper asked. Annabeth poked her head inside, then sighed and closed the curtains. Nothing, right now. A friend's place. I've been expecting her for the past few days, but so far, nothing. Your friend lives in a cave? Annabeth almost managed to smile. Actually, her family has a luxury condo in Queens, and she goes up finishing school in uh, Connecticut. But when she's at camp, yeah, she lives in the cave. She's our oracle, tells the future. I was hoping she could help me find Percy, Piper guessed. All of the energy drained out of Annabeth, like she'd been holding it together for as long as she could. She sat down on a rock, and her expression was so full of pain, Piper felt like a voyeur. She forced herself to look away. Her eyes drifted to the crest of a hill where a single pine tree dominated the skyline. Something glittered on its lowest branch, like a fuzzy gold bath mat. No, not a bath mat. It was a sheep's fleece. Okay, Piper thought. Greek camp. They've got a replica of the golden fleece. Then she noticed at the base of a tree. At first, she thought it was wrapped in a pile of massive purple cables. But the cables had reptilian scales, clawed feet, and a snake-like head with yellow eyes and a smoking nostril. That's dragon she stammered that's the actual golden fleece annabeth nodded but it was clear she wasn't really listening her shoulders dropped she rubbed her face and took a shaky breath sorry i'm a little tired you look ready to drop piper said how long have you been searching for your boyfriend three days six hours and uh, about 12 minutes and you've got no idea what happened to him annabeth shook her head miserably we were so excited, because we just started winter break early. We met up on camp on Tuesday, figured we'd have three weeks together. It was going to be great. Then, after the campfire, he, he kissed me goodnight, went back to his cabin, and in the morning, he was gone. We searched the whole camp. We contacted his mom. We tried everything to reach him, every way we know how. Nothing. He just disappeared. Piper was thinking, three days ago. The same night she had her dream. How long have you guys been together? Since August, Annabeth said, August 18th. Almost exactly when I met Jason, Piper said, but we've only been together a few weeks. Annabeth winced. Piper, about that. Maybe you should sit down. Piper knew where this is going. Panic started building inside her, like her lungs were filling with water. Look, I know Jason thought. He thought he just appeared at our school today, but that's not true. I've known him for like four months. Piper, Annabeth said sadly. It's the mist. Mist what? M-I-S-T. 
It's a kind of veil separating the mortal world from the magical world. Mortal minds, they can't process strange stuff like gods and monsters, so the mist bends reality. It makes mortals see things in a way that they can understand, like their eyes just might skip over this valley completely, or they might look at that dragon and see a pile of cables. Piper swallowed. No, you said so yourself. I'm not a regular mortal. I'm a demigod. Even demigods can be affected. I've seen it lots of times. Monsters infiltrate someplace like a school, pass themselves off as human, and everyone thinks they remember that person. They believe he's always been around. The mist can change memories, even create memories of things that never happened. But Jason's not a monster, Piper insisted. He's a human guy or demigod or whatever you want to call him. My memories aren't fake. They're so real. The time we set Coach Hedge's pants on fire, the time Jason and I watched a meteor shower in the dorm roof, and I finally got the stupid guy to kiss me. She found herself rambling, telling Annabeth about her whole semester at Wilderness School. She'd liked Jason from the first week they'd met. He was so nice to her and so patient, and could even put up with the hyperactive Leo and his stupid jokes. He'd accepted her for herself and didn't judge her because of all the stupid things she's done. They'd spent hours talking, looking at the stars, and eventually, finally, holding hands. All that couldn't be fake. Annabeth pursed her lips. Piper, your memories are a lot sharper than most, I'll admit that, but I don't know why that is. But if you know him so well, I do. Then where is he from? Piper felt like she had been hit between the eyes. He must have told me, but did you ever notice his tattoo before today? Did he ever tell you anything about his parents or his friends or his last school? I, I don't know, but... Piper, what's his last name? Her mind went blank. She didn't know Jason's last name. How could that be? She started to cry. She felt like a total fool, but she sat down on the rock next to Annabeth and just fell to pieces. It was too much. Did everything that was good in her stupid, miserable life had to be taken away? Yes, the dream had told her. Yes, unless you do exactly what we say. Hey, Annabeth said. We'll figure it out. Jason's here now. Who knows, maybe it'll work out for you guys and for real. Not likely, Piper thought. None of the dream had told her the truth, but she couldn't say that. She brushed a tear from her cheek. You brought me up here so that no one would see me blubbering, huh? Annabeth shrugged. I figured it would be hard for you. I know what it's like to lose a boyfriend. But I still can't believe... I know we had something, and now it's just gone, like he doesn't even recognize me. If he really did just show up today, then why? How did he get there? Why can't he remember anything? Good questions, Annabeth said. Hopefully Chiron can figure that out, but for now, we need to get you settled. You really need to- are you ready to go back down? Piper grazed at the crazy assortments of cabins in the valley. Her new home, a family who supposedly understood her, but- Soon they'd find just another bunch of people she'd disappointed, just another place she'd been kicked out of. You'll betray them for us, the voice warned, or you'll lose everything. She didn't have a choice. Yeah, she lied, I'm ready. On the central green, a group of campers was, having, uh, was playing basketball. They were incredible shots. Nothing bounced off the rim. Three-pointers went in automatically. Apollo's cabin, Annabeth explained, a bunch of show-offs with missile weapons, arrows, basketballs. They walked past a central fire pit where two guys were hacking at each other with swords. Real blades? Piper noted. Isn't that dangerous? That's sort of the point, Annabeth said. Uh, sorry. Bad pun. That's my cabin over there, number six. She nodded to a gray building with a carved owl over the door. Through the open doorway, Piper could see bookshelves, weapon displays, and one of those computerized smart boards. 
they have in classrooms. Two girls were drawing a map that looked like a battle diagram. Speaking of blades, Annabeth said, come here. She led Piper around the side of the cabin to a big metal shed that looked like it was meant for gardening tools. Annabeth unlocked it, and inside were not gardening tools, unless you wanted to make war on your tomato plants. The shed was lined with all sorts of weapons, from swords to spears and clubs like coach hedges. Every demagogue needs a weapon, Annabeth said. A facedies makes the best, but we have a pretty good selection, too. Athena is all about strategy, matching the right weapon to the right person. Let's see. Piper didn't feel much like shopping for deadly objects, but she knew Annabeth was trying to do something nice for her. Annabeth handed her a massive sword, which Piper could hardly lift. No, they both said at once. Annabeth rummaged a little further back in the shed and brought out something else. A shotgun? Piper asked. Mossberg 500. Annabeth checked the pump action like it was a big deal. Don't worry, it doesn't hurt humans. It's modified to shoot celestial broth, so it only kills monsters. Um, I don't think that's my style, Piper said. Mm, yeah, Annabeth agreed. Too flashy. She put the shotgun back and started poking around a rack of crossbows when something in the corner of the shed caught Piper's eye. What is that? she said. A knife? Annabeth dug it out and blew the dust off the scabbard. It looked like it hadn't seen the light of day in centuries. I don't know, Piper, Annabeth said uneasy. I don't think you want this one. Swords are usually better. You use a knife, Annabeth pointed to the one strapped to Annabeth's belt. Yeah, but... Annabeth shrugged. Well, take a look if you want. The sheath was a worn black leather, bound in bronze. Nothing fancy, nothing flashy. The polished wood handle fit beautifully in Piper's hand. When she unsheathed it, she found a triangular blade 18 inches long, bronze gleaming like it had been polished yesterday. The edges were deadly sharp. Her reflection in the blade caught her by surprise. She looked older, more serious, not as scared as she felt. It suits you, Annabeth admitted. That kind of blade is called a parazonium. It's mostly ceremonial, carried by high-ranking officers in the Greek armies. It showed you a person of power and wealth, but in a fight, you could protect yourself just fine. I like it, Piper said. Why didn't you think it was right? Annabeth exhaled. That blade has a long story. Most people would be afraid to claim it. Its first owner, well, things didn't turn out too well for her. Her name was Helen. Piper let that sink in. Wait, you mean the Helen? Helen of Troy? Annabeth nodded. Suddenly, Piper felt like she'd be handling the dacker with surgical gloves. And it's just sitting in your tool shed. We're surrounded by ancient Greek stuff, Annabeth said. This isn't a museum. Weapons like that, they're meant to be used. Their heritage is demigods. That was the wedding present from Melanius, Helen's first tombatsman. She named the dagger Catapris. Meaning? Mirror, Annabeth said. Looking glass. Probably because it's the only thing Helen used it for. I don't think it's ever seen battle. Piper looked at the blade again. For a moment, her own image stared up at her, but then the reflection changed. She saw flames and a grotesque face like something carved from bedrock. She heard the same laughter as in her dream. She saw her dad in chains, tied to a post in front of a roaring bonfire. She dropped the blade. Piper? Annabeth shouted to the Apollo kids on the court. Medic, I need some help over here. No, it's, it's okay. Piper managed. You sure? Yeah, I just... She had to control herself. With trembling fingers, she picked up the dagger. I just got overwhelmed, but so much is happening today. I, I want to keep the dagger, though, if that's okay. Annabeth hesitated. Then she waved off the Apollo kids. Okay, if you're sure. You turned really pale there. I thought you were having a seizure or something. I'm fine, Piper promised, though her heart was still racing. 
Is there, um, a phone at camp? Can I call my dad? Annabeth's gray eyes were almost as unnerving as the daggery blades. She seemed to be calculating a million possibilities, trying to read Piper's thoughts. We aren't allowed phones, she said. Most demigods, if they use a cell phone, it's like sending up a signal, letting monsters know where you are. But I've got one. She slipped it out of her pocket. Kind of against the rules, but if it can be our secret. Piper took it gratefully, trying to not let her hand shake. She stepped away from Annabeth and turned to face the common areas. She called her dad's private line, even though she knew what would happen. Voicemail. She'd been trying for three days ever since the dream. Wilderness school only allowed phone privileges once a day, but she called every evening and got nowhere. Reluctantly, she dialed another number. Her dad's personal assistant answered the phone immediately. Mr. McLean's office. Jane, Piper said, grinding her teeth. Where's my dad? Jane was silent for a moment, probably wondering if she should get away with getting it hanging up. Piper, I thought I told you you weren't supposed to call from school. Maybe I'm not at school, Piper said. Maybe I ran away to live among the woodland creatures. Mm. Jane didn't sound concerned. Well, I'll tell him you called. Where is he? Out. You don't know, do you? Piper lowered her voice, hoping Annabeth was too nice to eavesdrop. When are you going to call the police, Jane? He could be in trouble. Piper, we are not going to turn this into a media circus. I'm sure he's fine. He does take off occasionally. He always comes back. So it's true. You don't know. I have to go, Piper, Jade snapped. Enjoy school. The line went dead. Piper cursed. She walked back to Annabeth and handed her the phone. No luck, Annabeth asked. Piper didn't answer. She didn't trust herself to not start crying again. Annabeth glanced at the phone display and hesitated. Your last name is McLean? Sorry, it's none of my business, but that sounds really familiar. A uh, common name. Yeah, I guess so. What does your dad do? He's got a degree in the arts, Piper said automatically. He's a Cherokee artist. Her standard response. Not a lie, just not the whole truth. Most people, when they heard that, figured her dad sold Indian souvenirs at a roadside stand on a reservation. Sitting bowl, bobbleheads, wampum necklaces, big chief tablets, that kind of thing. Oh, and Beth didn't look convinced, but she put her the phone away. You feeling okay? Want to keep going? Piper fastened her new dagger to her belt and promised herself that later, when she was alone, she'd figure out how it worked. Sure, she said. I want to see everything. All the cabins were cool, but none of them struck Piper as hers. No burning signs, wombats or otherwise, appeared over her head. Cabin 8 was entirely silver and glowed like moonlight. Artemis? Piper guessed. You know Greek mythology, Annabeth said. I did some reading when my dad was working on a project last year. I thought he did Cherokee art. Piper bit back a curse. Oh, right. Well, you know, he does other stuff, too. Piper thought she'd blown it. McLean, Greek mythology. Thankfully, Annabeth didn't seem to make the connection. Anyway, Annabeth continued, Artemis is a goddess of the moon, goddess of hunting, but no campers. Artemis was eternal maiden, so she doesn't have any kids. Oh, that kind of bummed Piper out. She always liked the stories of Artemis and figured she'd make a cool mom. Well, there are the hunters of Artemis, Annabeth amended. They visit sometimes. They're not the children of Artemis, but they're their handmaidens, this band of immortal teenage girls who adventure together and hunt monsters and stuff. Piper perked up. That sounds cool. They get to be immortal? Unless they die in bat combat or break their vows. Did I mention they have to swear off boys? No dating. Ever. For eternity. Oh, Piper said. Never mind. Annabeth laughed. 
For a moment, she looked almost happy, and Piper thought she'd be a cool friend to hang out with in better times. Forget it, Piper reminded herself. You're not going to make any friends here. Not once they find out. They passed the next cabin, number 10, which was decorated like a Barbie house with lace curtains, a pink door, and potted carnations in the windows. They walked by the doorway, and the smell of perfume almost made Piper gag. Ugh, is that where supermodels go to die? Annabeth smirked. Aphrodite's cabin, goddess of love, drew as the head counselor. Figures, Piper grumbled. They're not all bad, Annabeth said. The last head counselor we had was really great. What happened to her? Annabeth's expression darkened. We should keep going. They looked at the other cabins, but Piper just got more depressed. She wondered if she could be the daughter of Demeter, the farming goddess. And again, Piper killed every plant she ever touched. Athena was cool. Or maybe Hecate, the magic goddess. But it didn't really matter. Even here, where everyone was supposed to find the lost parent, she knew she would still end up the unwanted kid. She was not looking forward to the campfire tonight. We started with the twelve Olympian gods, Annabeth explained. Male gods to the left, female on the right. Then last year, we added a whole bunch of new cabins for the other gods who didn't have thrones on Olympus. Hecate, Hades, Iris. What are the two big ones on the end? Piper asked. Annabeth frowned. Zeus and Hera, king and queen of the gods. Piper headed that way, and Annabeth followed, though she didn't act very excited. The Zeus cabin reminded Piper of a bank. It was white marble with big columns out front and polished bronze doors emblazoned with lightning bolts. Harry's cabin was smaller, but done in the same style, except the doors were carved with peacock feather designs, shimmering in different colors. Unlike the other cabins, which were all noisy and open and full of activity, the Zeus and Hera cabins looked closed and silent. Are they empty? Piper asked. Annabeth nodded. Zeus went a long time without having any children. Well, mostly. Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, the eldest brother among the gods. They're called the Big Three. Their kids are really powerful, really dangerous. For the last 70 years or so, they've tried to avoid having demi-children. Tried to avoid it? Sometimes they, um, cheated. I've got a friend, Talia Grace, who's the daughter of Zeus. But she gave up camp life and became a hunter of Artemis. My boyfriend, Percy, he's a son of Poseidon. And there's a kid who shows up sometimes, Nico, son of Hades. Except for them, there are no demigod children of the big three gods. Well, at least none that we know of. And Hera? Piper looked at the peacock-decorated doors. The cabin bothered her, though she wasn't sure why. Goddess of marriage, Annabeth's tone was carefully controlled like she was trying to avoid cursing. She doesn't have kids with anyone but Zeus. So, yeah, no demigods. The cabin's just honorary. You don't like her, Piper noticed. We have a long history, Annabeth admitted. I thought we'd made peace, but when Percy disappeared, I got this weird dream vision from her. Telling you to come get us, Piper said, but you thought Percy would be there. It's probably better I don't talk about it, Annabeth said. I've got nothing good to say about Hera right now. Piper looked at the base of the doors. So who goes in here? No one. This cabin's just honorary, like I said. No one goes in. Someone does. Piper pointed at a footprint in the dusty threshold. On instinct, she pushed the doors open and they swung open easily. Annabeth stepped back. Um... Piper, I don't think we should. We're supposed to do dangerous stuff, right? And Piper walked inside. Hera's cabin was not someplace Piper would want to live. It was cold as a freezer, with a circle of white columns around a central statue of the goddess, ten feet tall, seated on a throne in flowing golden robes. Piper had always thought of Greek statues as white with blank eyes, but this one was brightly painted so it looked almost human, except huge. Hera's piercing eyes seemed to follow Piper. At the goddess's feet, a fire burned in a bronze brazier, 
Piper wondered who tended it if the cabin was always empty. A stone hawk sat on Hera's soldier, and in her hand was a staff toppled with a lotus flower. The goddess's hair was done in black plates. Her face smiled, but the eyes were cold and calculating, as if she was saying, Mother knows best. Now don't cross me, or I'll have to step on you. There was nothing else in the cabin. No beds, no furniture, no bathrooms, no windows. Nothing anyone could actually use to live. For a goddess of home and marriage, Hera's place reminded Piper of a tomb. No, this wasn't her mom. At least Piper was sure of that. She hadn't come in here because she felt a good connection, but because her sense of dread was stronger here. Her dream, that horrible ultimatum she'd been handed, had something to do with this cabin. She froze. They weren't alone. Behind the statue, at a little altar in the back, stood a figure covered in a black shawl. Only her hands were visible, palms up. She seemed to be chanting something, like in a prayer or a spell. Annabeth gasped. Rachel? The girl turned. She dropped her shawl, revealing a mane of curly red hair and freckled face that didn't go with the seriousness of the cabin or the black shawl at all. She looked about 17, a totally normal teen in a green blouse and tattered jeans covered with marker doodles. Despite the cold floor, she was barefoot. Hey! She ran to give Annabeth a hug. I'm so sorry! I came as fast as I could! They talked for a few moments about Annabeth's boyfriend and how there was no news, etc., until finally Annabeth remembered Piper, who was standing there feeling uncomfortable. I'm being rude, Annabeth apologized. Rachel, this is Piper, one of the half-bloods we rescued today. Piper, this is Rachel Elizabeth Dare, our oracle. The friend who lives in the cave, Piper guessed. Rachel grinned. That's me! So, you're an oracle? Piper asked. You can tell the future? More like the future mugs me from time to time, Rachel said. I speak prophecies. The oracle spirit kind of hijacks me every once in a while and speaks important stuff that doesn't make any sense to anybody, but yeah, the process, prophecies tell the future. Oh, Piper shifted the foot. From foot to foot. That's cool. Rachel laughed. Don't worry, everyone finds it a little creepy, even me, but usually I'm harmless. You're a demigod? Nope, Rachel said. Just mortal. Then what are you- Piper waved her hand around the room. Rachel's smile faded. She glanced at Annabeth, then back at Piper. Just a hunch. Something about this cabin and Percy's disappearance. They're connected somehow. I've learned to follow my hunches, especially in the last month since the gods went silent. Went silent? Piper asked. Rachel frowned at Annabeth. You haven't told her yet? I was getting to that, Annabeth said. Piper, for the last month, well, it's normal for the gods not to talk to their children very much, but usually we can count on some messages now and then. Some of us can even visit Olympus. I spent practically all semester at the Empire State Building. Excuse me? The entrance to Mount Olympus these days. Oh, Piper said, sure, why not? Annabeth was redesigning Olympus after it was damaged in the Titan War, Rachel explained. She's an amazing architect. You should see the salad bar. Anyway, Annabeth said. Starting about a month ago, Olympus fell silent. The entrance closed and no one could get in. Nobody knows why. It's like the gods have sealed themselves off. Even my mom won't answer my prayers, and our camp director, Dionysus, was recalled. Your camp director was the god of wine? Yeah, it's a long story, Piper guessed. Right, go on. That's it, really. Demigods still get claimed, but nothing else. No messages, no visits, no sign the gods are even listening. It's like something has happened. Something really bad. Then Percy disappeared. And Jason showed up on our field trip, Piper supplied, with no memory. Who's Jason? Rachel asked. My, Piper stopped herself before she could say boyfriend, but the effort made her chest hurt. My friend. But, Annabeth, you said Hera sent you a dream vision. 
Right, Annabeth said. The first communication from a god in a month, and it's Hera, the least helpful goddess, and she contacts me, her least favorite demigod. She tells me I'll find out what happened to Percy if I go to the Grand Canyon Skywalk and look for a guy with one shoe. Instead, I find you guys, and the guy with one shoe is Jason. It doesn't make sense. Something bad is happening, Rachel agreed. She looked at Piper, and Piper felt an overwhelming desire to tell them about her dream, to confess that she knew what was happening, at least part of the story. And the other bad stuff was only the beginning. Guys, I I need to... Before she continued, Rachel's body stiffened. Her eyes began to glow with a greenish light, and she grabbed Piper by the shoulders. Piper tried to back away, but Rachel's hands were like steel clamps. Free me, she said, but it wasn't Rachel's voice. It sounded like an older woman, speaking from somewhere far away, down a long, echoing pipe. Free me, Piper McLean, or the earth shall swallow us. It must be by the solstice. The room started spinning. Annabeth tried to separate Piper from Rachel, but it was no use. Green smoke enveloped them, and Piper was no longer sure if she was awake or dreaming. The giant statue of the goddess seemed to rise from its throne. It leaned over Piper, its eyes boring into her. The statue's mouth opened, its breath like a horribly thick perfume. It spoke in the same echoing voice. Our enemies stir. The fiery one is only the first. Pow to his will, and their king shall rise, dooming us all. Free me! Piper's knees buckled, and everything went black.